0: foreign kid in the japanese school uniform which is already a bit incongruous to local people um and i'm sprinting out of the station i like hit my card as i'm leaving and i'm sprinting down the streets like past traffic and uh I, I, i make it to the school after about a few minutes but the assembly has already started um and so i i come in uh to a effectively a silent room beside the principal speaking and hundreds of heads turn over to look at me as i open up the door Staying motivated takes work. If you don't work on your motivation, you become unmotivated. Join Umar Jang as he shares inspirational stories and tips to get you motivated to do whatever you need to do. This is the Motivational Voice Podcast.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Motivational Voice Podcast. This is session number 31. Hey, welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you here. If you've ever wondered what it would feel like to live in a foreign country or the thought of living in a foreign country has crossed your mind, but you are too nervous to take the next step, today's episode is a treat. Some of the most rewarding experiences in my life happened because I immersed myself into a foreign culture for an extended period of time or just took a trip to another country that put me outside of my comfort zone. Today's podcast is very special to me because I am sharing a conversation that I had with someone who I care about a lot, my 19-year-old son, Noah. Noah spent time in Japan earlier this year as part of a student exchange program where he had to learn to navigate some interesting challenges. Now, I did not have him on the podcast because he is related to me, but because I believe that he has stories that are not only entertaining, but are full of useful anecdotes for anyone who is thinking about going abroad to work or to study. So without further ado, let's listen to my interview with Noah. Noah, welcome to the
0: podcast. Thank you
1: very much. Happy to be here. Well, thanks for doing this. I've been chasing you around for
0: months. It's, yeah, it's been a while. It's I've been home like six months now, I think.
1: Yeah, trying, trying to get you to do the, the recording. Now... I know you, but my listeners don't know you. Can yes. you introduce yourself and tell them a little bit about who you are and what uh, you do?
0: I can. Uh, I'm Noah. Uh, I am on this podcast because I uh, spent my senior year of high school in Osaka, Japan. Um, as far as I go personally, I'm uh, I'm 18. You know, I was raised primarily in Minnesota, the uh, state of 10,000 lakes here. And uh, just graduated high school this year uh, in spite of, you know, the pandemic situation. So it's been an interesting year to be back.
1: So I have you on because I think people can, people who may be thinking about maybe going abroad to study or uh, even to work, especially other countries, may have some, some good tips to get out of your experiences, even though you're young. Yeah. So you went to Japan. Let's take a step back. why did you go to Japan in the first place? so
0: for me I, I think a lot of people go into foreign exchange with the mindset of like a lot of people have been interested in it since they were a child, and they're thinking like man i always I've always wanted to travel I've always wanted to see other cultures, but for me, it started primarily because I was bored, which sounds shallow. you were bored, but I was like i you know I was one of those people in high school where a lot of my friends were in the grades above me, and so I realized as I was finishing up my junior year, like halfway through it, that when I graduated to senior year, I wasn't going to have any friends. So I was like, well, I just started learning Japanese in school and I'm not going to have any friends next year. So why not use my Japanese? So then just entirely on a whim, I was, I looked into exchange programs and on the, uh, absolute last day of the deadline for the program I applied to, I just put in an application just on a whim. And, uh, Somehow I got in. So for me, I guess the starting thing was like I don't know what I'm doing senior year, so I'm just gonna go. Yeah, that <laughs>
1: speak about on a whim because all of a sudden we were your your mother and I were approached by you. And all <laughs> of a sudden you're like, I want to go to Japan. You're <laughs> we <were> like, what? <laughs> you want to go to Japan? And uh, so your, your thought process was that that would give you something to do, or did you have a prior interest of wanting to visit another culture or anything like that? Yeah, I think, well,
0: because, you know, I, I have kind of always been interested in Japanese media. I think a lot of kids in America are exposed to Japanese media, whether it's like Dragon Ball or Naruto or something as kids. Um, and so, you know, I watched those shows when I was a kid. And so I'd always had like at least a passing interest in Japanese culture. So I think that that's probably why it clicked in my head to, to go there at all. Um, between that and the fact that I had just started studying Japanese in school, um, I, yeah, I mean, I guess I've always been interested in travel. It had just never struck me as something that I could do until kind of the, those things all meshed together in that moment.
1: Right. And I think, and we'll talk a little bit about maybe influences that I or your mom may have had on you <laughs> wanting to go abroad. Yeah. But let's take a step back. So you decide that you wanted to go to Japan. And what was the next steps? So what are some of the things that we did in terms of trying to figure out how to to, to take you there?
0: Yeah. yeah. So the as far as, you know, I, I think really the, the most difficult step to going on a foreign exchange is finding out about it. I think there are plenty of people that would be interested in going to other countries that literally just don't realize that the opportunity is out there. I certainly didn't. I had never thought about it until, you know, my junior year of high school. And um, you essentially, you can just Google it, like foreign exchange to whatever country, and there are a million international organizations. I ended up going with Rotary primarily because foreign exchange can be expensive. And Rotary offers exchange for like half the price of any any company out there, whether it's like AFS or kind of any America-based company that I know of at least. And so...
1: Yeah, and I think, well, about that... I think for us, well, the money was a factor in that we didn't want to spend what fifteen, twenty grand yeah. on a program. Well, you know, first of all, affordability was was a question, mm-hmm. but it still was six thousand dollars that we had to figure yeah, out how absolutely. to. We were like, we well, we're not gonna give you six grand so you yeah. can go to Japan. Yeah, yeah but totally. So, what are some of the things? How did we? How did you come out? How did we, well, how did we
0: manage to to get the money? What are some of the things that we did? So as far as the money went, because I knew, you know, I, I had gotten into it uh, pretty late in the game. Like, like I said, I applied on the last day possible. Um, so for me, there was no, like, I'm going to work and then save up for this. I had maybe a few months until the first payment would have been due. Um, and, you know, I wasn't working that much. I was working maybe eight to ten hours a week at that point. Uh, and I had a weird job that didn't really allow me to expand past that. And so uh, my savings would not have been able to pay for much of it alone. And so what I did, and this is what all the kids do these days, I uh, I created a, a GoFundMe and I sent it kind of, you know, I put together this video just of me like talking about kind of what I wanted to do um, just to, you know, see if it got a reaction because I, I had no idea whether or not it would be successful at all. But I figured I'd try since it was just about the only way I was going to get there. Um, so I put up that video on GoFundMe. I got some help from my my very kind mother, uh, putting it together, and we you know we sent it around to uh, kind of the extended family, family friends, and just to see you know if anybody was interested in contributing anything. Right. Um, and that I I I mean really for lack of a better word it kind of blew up among my my family and friends. Um, yeah, I
1: think that was that was crucial. I think we put a lot of thought. To you both your mom and I, kind of talked about how we would craft the message because. We wanted to make sure that if people donated to the GoFundMe, that they knew that their money was going towards a, a worthy cause. Yeah. And and I think we, between her and I, we kind of sent it out to our our contacts, our friends, uh, Facebook uh, primarily. And uh, yeah, you're right that it blew up over there. We we got to give uh, thanks and credit to all of those who, who actually donated to the yeah. to your GoFundMe. We we got a lot of donations from people who were willing to support and were very, very kind, and we were thankful for that. And I think I, I wanted to make sure that people understand that it wasn't just really about getting the GoFundMe going. It was more, I think, about, because we could have kind of found the money, given you the money, to be honest, but it was more about we wanted to, to, to teach you some values around you, if you want something that has a high price tag you have to be willing to put in the work for us to, to be able to assist you and, and I think something we said if you could find a portion of the money we would help you um, find the, the rest of the money or we would you know put in the rest of the money yeah. and uh, and certainly that was one of the core main reasons why we did that now you talked about having to make a payment a first payment to, yes. to Rotary so to give a little bit of background, we, you had to do these orientations for, for, uh, before you went to the trip. Yeah. So there were three orientations that you had to do through this organization, Rotary, and, and I'll put some, some uh, of the links for them into the, the, the show notes for the episode. But anyway, can you talk a little more about that? How did that go? And what was the experience of, of going to those first orientations, quote unquote?
0: Yeah. Well, and, you know, even before the orientations, there was like a brief interview process where they kind of screen you and your parents. And it was all it was pretty light. Um, And then so going into the orientation, how at least my local Rotary District structures it because they're an international organization and it kind of varies depending on where you are, Um, how my organization did it was each they They had three orientations. And then at each of those orientations, a certain amount of the total payment was due. I believe it was $2,000 per orientation. So it totals up to $6,000. Um, and the first orientation, uh, a lot of it is just, it, it's kind of, the point of the orientations is obviously to prepare you for going abroad. And so the first one is kind of to familiarize you with Rotary themselves, um, kind of the the leadership structure of everything, how going to different countries has different officers overseeing it. and. Uh, to get you familiar with who's going to be keeping track of you when you're abroad for all those months. right? Um, and, and then also to kind of introduce you and kind of do a little bit of community building with all the other exchange students, because that's a very big part of what Rotary does. Um, they really like to connect their students, even students going to different locations, and make sure there's kind of like a familial bond there. So that was kind of the first orientation, a lot of socializing and a lot of just kind of understanding the organization behind the uh, the exchange itself. So it's a few months in between each orientation. I believe it was in about September or October, the first one, and then the next one was in around December, um, right. I believe. And the second one is kind of the peak of socialization as far as the orientations go. Um, there's, I believe, a brief kind of family section where they go over some more details like homesickness and culture shock and kind of ways to deal with that kind of stuff. They cover a lot of kind of coping mechanisms for the stuff that you could go with abroad. And, um Following that, it was a uh, like this overnight trip to this uh, YMCA camp, like out kind of in the middle of nowhere in Minnesota. Um, and so they, uh, I should mention one thing Rotary does is that they bring together the students who are leaving the country, known as the outbounds, and then the students who are currently living from abroad in wherever your area is. So in my case, the students living in Minnesota.
1: How was that? How was it to be exposed to other kids from other countries and other places?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was it was kind of great all around like one of the first realizations that you come to i guess as a a teenager going into youth exchange is that i think on a conscious level people know that teenagers all over the world are all going to be teenagers and that they all you know they're all for lack of a better term kind of the same like they all act like teenagers regardless of where you're from but kind of to feel that in person was different like to get to know this norwegian girl and this danish guy and this south african and it's like we're all obviously their levels of English and everything vary and there are cultural differences. But the first thing I came to the realization of was that we're all totally just teenagers winging it and nobody really knows what they're doing here. We're all just kids basically. Um, And so it was really nice to talk to people and kind of come to that understanding that like, I felt like I didn't know what I was doing with exchange. And then I realized that the people living in America from other countries didn't know what they were doing either. Um, So it was, Kind of this mutual understanding of like, I'm seventeen, you're seventeen, and we're both equally confused about what's going on. Um. <laughs> yeah, that it's interesting
1: to to get your perspective because as parents, we went to these orientations, and for the most part, we were in a different room where we were separated from the the from you guys yeah. from the, the those the kids going to the programs. and I think these orientations were also. Partly to manage parents. Yeah. Because if your child, for most parents, uh, you know, it's your child is the, the one thing you love the most in the world, maybe aside from your spouse, is going to go abroad. And people, parents are starting to have palpitations about yeah. the idea that your child is going to go abroad. And in your case, it was like for a year.
0: Yeah.
1: And in Japan, so it's not like we could just get you on the phone and get in and jump and be there if you had a problem. Yeah. So anyway, the idea was, I think these orientations were mostly to manage the parents' expectations and not to get the parents not to freak out if something happens or jump on the plane, the next plane and be there the next morning when yeah. something happened. Uh, but it, anyway, it was interesting to get your perspective as well on that. Now, I want to talk about the actual experience of being in Japan and, and the whole process of actually going to Japan. So you are in the plane, your first solo, I believe, international flight into yes. Asia. Uh, you've gone to Africa with me and, and, and uh, your brothers in the past, but that was different. But this is the first time you fly international. You land in Japan. What is, what is it like? What are you feeling? What are you seeing? What happened? Yeah,
0: so I should say on the plane, a lot of people freak out on the plane. Like, they leave their family at the airport, they get on the plane, and then they realize, oh, no, I can't go back now. This is real. Yeah. For me, it didn't hit on the plane. And I was in the longest flight of my life. I believe it was, uh, like, two hours to Seattle or so, and then 11 hours to Japan. Um, And it didn't hit me on the flight. I was watching, like, Marvel movies, animated movies. I was sitting there, like, chilling. I got off the plane and I go to the baggage claim. I'm, I'm there with another exchange student. Uh, I, there was somebody else, a guy that I know Oscar who was headed to the same place as me. Um, and we get in this line that leads up to kind of, I guess, customs. Uh, we, we, uh, don't have our bags yet cause we haven't made it to the baggage claim. And there's these like three lines that lead to different places in customs. And there is English in the airport. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really, the lines are so mixed up that nobody knows where they're supposed to be going. So we just get into two random lines. Um, and I think we were in the wrong lines because I noticed there was a lot of Asian people and I'm not Asian in those lines and then kind of a an airport employee came over and said something to me and he like led me over to another line and eventually I got to this kind of the customs officer I suppose and I you know showed him my passport ran everything and I got through um, and Oscar, the guy there with me was stuck at that line for like 25 minutes. there was some misunderstanding the line with the the Asian Americans. Uh, he he made it to the same line as me, but something with the customs officer just wasn't going through, and so I was I was standing outside there waiting. Like, should I go to the baggage claim? Should I leave him behind? Um, and he was stuck there that whole time. So I'm waiting. And outside. Oscar
1: is uh, someone you knew who was also in the rotary program, yeah, go going ahead. to Japan, and you guys had cre- made a friendship over
0: these orientations and became buds. Yeah, we we knew each other pretty pretty decently well at that point. Uh, and I didn't want to just leave him behind, even though I knew my host family was waiting for me out there. So I wait and wait and wait. And eventually he comes out and I'm super relieved because I wasn't sure if he was getting like arrested or something. Uh, and we get our bags uh, we head out and there's this big kind of open room. There's Japanese all over the signs everywhere. And I'm like, wow, this is Japan. Yeah. And uh, there's this, this huge crowd of like Japanese people I've never met before. And they're carrying like signs that say like, welcome to Japan. And, I was like, my God, this is how they do it in the movies. I'm in Japan. They're welcoming me and everything was great. Were the signs in English? or in It was written in English, yeah. Um, And so it was apparently, because I didn't understand this at the time because I had never seen these people. I got remarkably little information about my host families before I went there. Because what Rotary has you do is switch between a few different host families over the course of the year. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had known about my first one. I had seen pictures of them, but I didn't know the second, the third, and there was going to be a fourth. Um, and so I see my first host family and it's just huge crowd of people, rotary businessmen, kind of the local leadership and then my host family. And then there were my other host families kind of lined up with them. And so we go out, we're greeted by all these people. We're shaking hands, bowing, which is new to us. Um, and it was this huge kind of thing and everybody's saying stuff and I'm using my limited Japanese to converse. How good was your Japanese at at this point? It It was was poor. poor. I had poor Japanese when I got there.
1: I would say very poor. Well, I mean you did you were taking Japanese before leaving you did yeah. rotary sent sends out a number of of courses i think it was you had to to be to take thirty courses before you actually go abroad so you're at least conversational or yeah. close to being able to say what you need yeah all right okay
0: um and you know i I had been studying for about a year at that point uh kind of self study for most of it uh and I, I thought I was pretty good before I was going there. And then I got there and I realized, I don't, I don't know, what know what these people, these people are saying. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's way more complicated than people think with languages like that that are super different. I think I could have nailed down Spanish or French or something in that time, but not an Asian, like a, an East Asian language.
1: Yeah. And you actually, uh, just a quick point on that. When you came back from Japan, which uh, I'm jumping the story here, jumping ahead here a little bit. Some of the things you said, resonated with me because I I learned English I, I wasn't born a native English speaker yeah. I actually was was born and raised in Africa where the the, the system is French mm-hmm. so I, I learned French in school and when I was in high school I started learning a little bit of English this was actually I didn't become fluent in English until my early 20s. Yeah. And I was, okay, my English was better than your mom's French when we met. <laughs> but you, you said something that you came to the realization that, wow, there's a lot that goes into learning another language, living in another country where you weren't born, learning to speak the language and communicate and actually be working in that language.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think that was, I think, a, a point of connection and uh, that I I sensed between the two of us, that that was a result of your experience, a direct result of your experience going to Japan, Japan, right? So, yeah, so continue.
0: Yeah, so we're there. We're kind of meeting our host families and taking pictures with people that I've never seen before. And it's all this big event. And, you know, it was very welcoming. I I know in some countries, you barely get anybody coming to greet you, like maybe your host family and that's it. But we had kind of this whole party. Um, And so we we start kind of separating. I say my goodbyes to Oscar and I'm starting to head out with my host family. And I, I think this is kind of when it start, started to hit me because we went up this elevator to the second floor. We headed outside and the weather was awful. It was a terrible day. There was like, it was super cloudy and rainy. And so my first view of Japan is stepping out of the airport and I could barely see like 500 feet out because it's so rainy. Uh, and I'm just looking out at this, like the airport is very far out from the main city. And so you can see kind of the the coast of Osaka, but otherwise it's just rain and some cement buildings. And so I was like, this is kind of depressing, isn't it? As I was standing there, my host dad was getting the car and it's this long car ride, like half an hour back to their house, uh, kind of in the central part of the city. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I talked with my host dad in the car, my host mom wasn't able to make it. So it was just me and my host dad. Um, and you know, I, I'm able to kind of say some, some answers to his questions. We're conversing a little bit, even if it is a bit kind of rudimentary. Um, and you know, I made it back and it started to look more like a my impression of like a normal country, I guess, having lived in America uh, as we got closer in, into the city. And we arrive at uh, this house that's like super kind of it's, it's not wide. It's not long, but it's a very tall house. And I think if anybody goes to Japan or has lived in Japan, they'll, they'll understand that the houses in Japan aren't very wide, but they certainly do go up. There's only so much kind of land where people actually live and congregate. Um, cause a lot of the country is kind of farmland or forest or mountain. And so, but either way you end up with a lot of people squeezed in. And so in the bigger city, um, unless you're in a really kind of rather wealthy area, it's a lot of, you know, kind of these tall houses with a lot of staircases and floors. And so that was kind of what my first house was like. Cause I walked in, there was a, you know, just a little shoe area. We walk upstairs into the living room and I meet their dog who's wearing clothing and I'm confused yeah. by that. Which is something I ran into a lot. A lot of people that I had met in Japan had dogs that wore clothes, and I was like, "Wow, what an advanced culture!" Because <laughs> I don't nobody does that in America. That's weird in America, usually.
1: Right. Well, cel- celebrities do it. Some people do it for yeah. holidays. It's and like stuff. an upper class thing. Yeah. Like, wow. So it's some of those small. What are? Uh, it sounds like that's uh, some of those small cultural nuances that you were starting to notice. Yeah. What other things have you? noticed that were very different uh, when you were in Japan.
0: You know, I I think when you go to a country like Japan that's very kind of modernized in the same way that, you know, the west is and I guess it's western westernized in a lot of aspects. And so the culture shock doesn't hit you kind of like a like a truck like it does in some countries. Um, you know, like when we went to Senegal, I you it was a a big shock honestly getting into the airport and there's like a guard with a rifle and I'm like, "Wow." <laughs> in Japan it's not like that. It's these small kind of wow that's weird moments that show up over and over and so there was the dog clothing thing the the one thing that is kind of obvious but struck me in the way that people interact with each other was the bowing cuz you know people people do shake hands in Japan like it happens occasionally um but usually it's it's a culture of bowing and so uh you would see like a guy uh that was out at dinner with his boss or something and his boss would get into a taxi and the guy would bow to the car as as it's kind of pulling away, and he would keep bowing and bowing, as like he's looking at his boss through the window, and he bow and bow. It's kind of this repetitive motion, down up, down up, as the his boss is leaving until he's out of sight. And to me, that's just such an odd way to say goodbye with how we do it in the U.S. In the U.S., it's like goodbye, and then they drive away. Yeah, but it's this kind of constant, I guess, attentiveness because you want to, you know, let them know that you, you're, you know, thankful or respectful or whatever it may be. Yeah,
1: respect is a lot more. Brought to the surface than than let's say in the U.S. And yeah, that is a cultural thing because back home, back home in Africa, in Senegal specifically, there's a, a gesture like that where if you meet an elder, someone who's older than you, or uh, someone who who is a spiritual leader or something like that, you would put your hand on your chest and then slightly kind of bow. Yeah, a little bit. Some people fully bow. So yeah, it's interesting to see those same cultural differences, but yes, yeah, certainly not in the U.S.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, you know, it's a culture of respect at the kind of the core of it. Like right. any any place you go to, it's, it's not to say that there are no Japanese people that aren't like loud or something, but right. it's certainly, you know, people really care about kind of respecting each other's space, each other's kind of environment, um, which, you know, is people know that about Japan for a reason right. uh, internationally. And while you were in Japan, you attended school. I did. As well. How was the experience in school? I would say overall, uh, you know, a lot of exchange students th- expect school to always be fun, but it's not. It's not always fun. I'm going to say that right now. because uh, well, Why? Why not? Well, because there are still classes. And so I, I personally, with my Japanese, I didn't understand the vast majority of my classes, at least for the first kind of four or five months. Um, and so a lot of it. <laughs> when not when you're not between classes, it's just kind of sitting there in the lecture, and you know Japan has a writing system similar to that of China's, where a lot of words just have their own unique characters, um, and so um, until you learn those, and it's about two thousand to be on on par with kind of say like an average high school student. Two thousand characters. Two thousand characters to memorize, um, and you know I by the time I was gone, I had memorized maybe seven hundred. And so I was like one third as literate as your average high school student. <laughs> and so I could like barely read anything and barely do any work. So the actual class itself was frankly very boring, uh, even though I tried to, my best to pay attention and stay awake, which failed sometimes, succeeded other times. And, um, and this was a, what kind of class? General classes? Yeah, we had, you know, everything you would expect from a high school class. They had, um, you know, kind of chemistry and a math, which is funny because math I, in japanese yeah be it, it, was it was crazy, crazy because I, I, I you know i don't think you realize how many math terms you don't know until you have to do it in another language yeah like, like i know what you mean yeah, yeah. i know I the numbers i had to do it in, de- in a couple <laughs> different languages exactly <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like what's what is what's the word for square root in japanese <laughs> and so like even simple questions you don't know how to answer um so yeah math chemistry kind of so. but yeah, yeah a lot of normal classes uh, and they had uh kind of a few i guess different ones that i wasn't used to we had to. Uh, pick for a kind of an elective class between three options and we had art, music, and calligraphy. And, you know, being not Japanese, I was like, I've never done Japanese calligraphy, so I signed up for that. And it was this literally like two hour long class. It was like a third or a fourth of the day. Um and we would just sit and kind of practice different calligraphy and we had a book for it and everything. And it was uh you know a really I guess not a, not a valuable skill. Like I can't use it for anything in particular, but it was probably one of the most interesting classes I've ever taken. And, and you had some interesting experiences in terms of
1: at school, Yeah. how people perceived you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely.
0: The people are definitely the biggest part of school on an exchange, um, and just on an exchange in general, um, kind of getting to know natives and stuff. And so my, I had an interesting school in that my school was known for taking in exchange students. Uh, and so we had... What was the school's name? Uh, it was called Yuhigaoka. Yuhigaoka? Which, yeah. Um, and we had, when I got there, maybe about, I guess at its peak, about 12 or 13 exchange students in the school. Um, and so they, they kind of had us... All, we all kind of came in at the same time. Uh, all, we, we arrived in about August and then we started school within like a week or two. Um, and we had this school assembly and, uh, kind of, they had us, they had the whole school, like sit down in the gymnasium and look up at the stage. And then they gathered all the exchange students and they had us come up in front of the entire school and give like a, hello, my name is blank. I'm from blank. You should know this about me. Um, and so my first introduction to most of the students at the school was effectively just like an announcement, I guess, like of, hello, I'm Noah, I'm from America and I'm a cool guy. And so, uh, that (laughs) happened. And, you know, I, I think over my exchange, the thing that surprised me was that I developed this, I accidentally developed this reputation of being like the cool guy. Like, the, we can't talk That's to that bad, guy, bad cool guy. guy. That's um, funny. Man. And I don't know if it has anything to do with me being African American or just American in general. Um, but uh, yeah, a lot of people felt kind of nervous approaching me or talking to me, or they viewed me as like somebody they, they kind of, I guess, couldn't talk to, as in couldn't approach. Right. which is crazy because, you know, I tried my best to be friendly, um, but yeah, I just, I just, you know, my, my exchange student friends would tell me a lot of the time, like, yeah, I was talking to my Japanese friends and they were saying, like, man, that Noah guy is cool. I couldn't talk to him. And it's like, whoa, <laughs> I never had this reputation in America. I've never been the cool guy. What happened?
1: Yeah, and, and appearance-wise, for those who can't see us, is Noah. Noah is, he looks very friendly. He's, he's lighter-skinned. On the lighter-skinned side, yeah. uh, I am black uh, senegalese uh, african-american my my wife is is caucasian white minnesotan born and raised yeah. so Noah took on more of the lighter skin trade but definitely ident- uh, african-american identifiably yeah.
0: yeah yeah so it's you know and i was the only kind of black student there because we had all these exchange students but they're from like germany and kind of denmark and china and so there weren't exactly many black people there right um so yeah. i was even among the exchange students a little bit of an oddity I suppose.
1: Yeah, I guess there there were two dynamics. One was there were other foreign exchange students in that school, yeah. yeah. So you formed a bond with them totally. for being foreign years in in another foreign country, even mm-hmm. though you are all from different countries. Yeah. yeah. And then there was a dynamic of you dealing with the local Japanese students natively in the in the in the school. Yeah,
0: in a way, it was kind of like two different social lives a lot of the time because. You know, some of my some of my exchange student friends knew a few of my Japanese friends, but largely it was I was interacting with one group or the other and not usually at the same time. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it was I had a lot of exchange student friends and frankly, you know, native friends are a lot more difficult to make. I think, you know, you'll notice uh, if you become an exchange student, especially in high school, that a lot of people are intrigued by you being an exchange student they're very kind of curious because you're you know you're not from there and they want to kind of you know talk to you at least once kind of see what your deal is you know in my experience in in japan in particular is that you know a lot of people have that original that kind of curiosity in the beginning but then it kind of dies off like you become normal and then you have to find a reason to make people want to be your friend (laughs) you can't just ride the exchange student thing forever which works in some places but it didn't work for me in japan
1: Right, because some programs are shorter, maybe what eight weeks, twelve weeks, but yours was a year, so you couldn't.
0: Yeah, so I was a I was a permanent installation for that school year. So people just kind of get used to you, and you know you can you can totally use the I'm an exchange student, let's be friends card for for a while, but it doesn't last forever.
1: A story that you told us was that part of your quote-unquote, cool factor was due to the fact that you were late, which was accidental. Yes. Because, <laughs> can you talk more about that? Yeah,
0: I should mention uh, at the announcement thing, the first kind of big orientation with all the students and the exchange students announcing themselves, uh, I was late that day. Um, they told me, you know, I'll come at a certain time, and I think I missed the train or something. And so I... Yeah, you took the train from your host family's home yeah. to the
1: school, the, the subway system in yep. Japan.
0: Yeah, well, and it's, this one isn't even a subway system. They have kind of an above-ground system, and then they have a below-ground system, so it's all, it's this whole thing. I went one station too far, and I had to, you know, f- kind of get on another train, find my way back, uh, and that caused me to be a little bit late, and so I arrived at the station uh, as school was starting, and my school was about a five-minute walk from the station, and so if I didn't want to be five minutes late, I was going to have to run. So I'm this, like foreign kid in the japanese school uniform which is already a bit incongruous to local people um and i'm sprinting out of the station i like hit my card as i'm leaving and i'm sprinting down the streets like past traffic and uh I, i i make it to the school after about a few minutes but the assembly has already started um and so i i come in uh to a effectively a silent room beside the principal speaking and hundreds of heads turn over to look at me as i open up the door and they're sitting all on the floor. They're all like sitting in rows on the floor. Right. right. And, and I saw the
1: thinking. picture. It's it's It It looks like a military school. Yeah. In a good way. They're really organized. The yeah. shoes are between the rows of students. They're
0: all sitting on the floor. Same position. Yeah. All and the, you walk in. And I walk in the six foot tall, like lanky foreigner. <laughs> uh, and everybody looks over. And I'm out of breath because I sprinted to school. So uh, it's this silent room. And I'm there like... <sighs> <sighs> Uh, and I, I line up with the rest of the students. So I and I that wasn't the only time I was late to an assembly. And so I, I accidentally seemed like like a, a bit of a juvenile delinquent some of the time because I was just incompetent sometimes. Um, like we had a, this kind of school choir concert um, mm-hmm. and all of our classes practiced these songs and we had to sing. And so we got up my class got up on stage. I've been practicing with them. Uh, and, you know, in Japan, I, even before the pandemic, it's pretty common to wear a mask. Uh, like if you have a cold or some people just wear it because they don't feel like doing makeup on their bottom half of their face or something. And uh, I was wearing a mask just because I, you know, I kind of felt like it that day. And, you know, we got up on stage. I didn't notice my classmates all took off their masks as we got on stage. A few of them were wearing masks. They took it off. I was wearing a mask that day and I didn't realize that I was supposed to take it off as we got on stage.
1: Right.
0: And you wearing a mask had nothing to do with COVID-19. No, it hadn't happened yet. yet. Completely unrelated um so i was you know it's my whole class up. our hands are behind our backs as we're singing uh to the whole crowd of our grade uh, and i'm the only one wearing a mask and so apparently the teachers were not cool with that and i did not know because no one told me uh and so everybody in my grade was like wow look at him he's breaking the rules in front of the entire <laughs> grade in front of all the teachers it's like i'm not trying to <laughs> when, when truly
1: it's uh, some of those cultural things that when you go to another country another culture those quote-unquote, lost in translation things. You're doing things not intending to hurt someone or break the rules, but yeah. you're unintentionally breaking those rules yeah. regardless.
0: Totally. Um, and no matter how careful you are, there are going to be rules you break. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I think one of the most important things, as a especially a high school exchange student, is that people aren't always going to tell you what's going on. Uh, you would like to think that you're the exchange student, so you're going to be walked through a lot of things. Oftentimes, you're just on your own. Um, and so you absolutely, if you can, need to find a friend who's willing to like stick by you and kind of let you know what's happening. Because I I had a few of those luckily, um, and they would help me out whenever I was confused. But otherwise, you're often just not going to know what's happening, and that can be, you know, like kind of with the concert example, like a an infraction on be on kind of local authority or whatever it is. So
1: were the friends these friends that that were helping you out Japanese or. Foreign...
0: yeah they were they were japanese there were there were some exchange students that had been there longer than i had and so they kind of knew how the school worked but generally speaking yeah it was like japanese people in my class that kind of had a one a few of them had attached themselves to me to kind of help me out and walk me through things so
1: and while you were there i know you there were some rules by the rotary the program that that you that sent you abroad yeah. that you couldn't do certain things you couldn't drive you couldn't uh, date yeah you couldn't no, no obviously drink, drinking, and yeah. drink, so we don't, anyway, in our family, we, we don't mm-hmm. drink, we don't smoke, we don't do any of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that you couldn't do, and how did that maybe hamper your ability to experience certain things? Yeah,
0: so I, I suppose it should be mentioned that, you know, every exchange program has different rules. Um, probably the one that doesn't change being usually no driving and then no drinking or drugs, Um But Rotary does have, like you mentioned, like a no dating rule. And then they have, uh, for a lot of people, a curfew. I had a curfew. Um, Whether or not your your host family is going to enforce it is, you know, it depends on the family. But essentially all of my host families enforced the curfew. And so I was supposed to be back home before 9.30, which to me felt really stifling.
1: Yeah, because at home you had a curfew of midnight. Um, Yeah, I I think midnight
0: it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, I... I, I was never a fan of having a curfew. And so going from midnight, which sometimes I felt was like, why do I have to be home at midnight? And sure. as parents
1: were like, yeah, because you have to have a curfew. Yeah. But <laughs> then, then
0: to then, then, then life t- taught you your lesson. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. 930, I, I, you know, I felt like I was, that, that was probably the world that bothered me the most. I often felt like I was being treated like a child where it's, you know, I, I, I felt like I had come this far to this other side of the world, but I'm not allowed to walk around at night. Um, yeah. Especially since Japan is, you know, one of the safest countries in the world. Um, so that was, that, that was probably the only serious point of contention that I had between me and my host families and me and Rotary. Um, I, I get why the rule is in place, but I, you know, there are a lot of organizations that don't have that rule. Um, and the the no dating rule I didn't find particularly stifling. Uh, I definitely, there were opportunities to get, I guess, get kind of romantically involved with people, but I, you know, that I, knowing I would go home eventually that just, it didn't interest me really. Um, so I, I avoided that on my own. But I could see why somebody would be bothered by that rule. Because, you know, my, my parents my met when my mom was on, you know, foreign exchange in Senegal. Um, and so, you know, for me to be told, like, well, your parents met on exchange, but you can't date on exchange felt odd. Because if that rule, if my mom had followed that rule, I wouldn't have been born.
1: Yeah, I guess that's that. Yeah, that, there's some truth to that, that. that. Yeah, since I met your mom that way. Um, and we started dating, and later that led to us getting married. Yeah. Uh, now, you lived, ended up living in three different host families' homes. Yep. What was I know there was one thing that you found surprisingly interesting, which was the bidets.
0: Yes, <laughs> the bidets. So, you know, I was curious going to Japan, because, you know, you see all these jokes on sitcoms of like, whoa, this toilet has a bidet, and they freak right. out when it turns on or whatever. Um, and, like... You know, I had read some Japanese people's opinions on the Internet of like using toilet paper is barbaric. <laughs> so I was like, well, I got to see what's going on. And, you know, every every house that I had been in had, you know, uh, at least one toilet with like a bidet function on it um, or like, you know, a fancy control panel. And and most of them, they had that on more than one toilet. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's cleaner for sure. And you don't waste as much toilet paper. That's like I came back from Japan and I was like, we're buying one. <laughs> we are getting one of these. Yeah, we have to install one, but we'll have to
1: upgrade that one anyway, because it's not heated.
0: No, oh, yeah. Well, heated seats were a thing. <laughs> Automatic toilet seats that open up when you walk in the room. It's crazy. Right. They have mastered the bathroom.
1: Now, another thing I wanted to bring up was, of course, at some point during your stay, COVID happened. Yep. And that drastically changed your experience. What what happened when, when you when you heard that COVID happened? How did that affect your experience in Japan?
0: So it started, um, I, I think, probably December or January was when the first kind of news started coming out about it. I think that it was the same in the U.S. as well, where it started spreading in China and people were wondering, like, how serious is this? Um, so, the only, yeah, it, from December to January was kind of just an object of curiosity. You know, it hadn't really spread to other countries in any serious manner yet. Um, it was probably around February where kind of cases started moving around and, you know, we got a few in Japan and we were like, well, maybe this is serious. Uh, but nobody, nobody really was taking it seriously at the time. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, the U S and everything was the same way back in February. Um, we had maybe a few cases in Japan, so we were just, you know, going around kind of doing whatever. Some people were wearing masks more, like I'd say towards the end of my exchange, maybe 50% of people were wearing masks like all the time. Um, but you know, 50% weren't. Um, but yeah, I'd say until February, there were no effects on my exchange effectively. Um, but then, you know, in February people kind of started wearing masks and there started being talk of like, you know, maybe avoid going out or avoid like the, the trains at least, uh, kind of crowded areas. Uh, and you know, quite honestly, most people weren't taking it seriously because nobody really thought that like a, an international pandemic of this scale was even possible and so by by the end of my exchange, because my, my exchange did end early because of COVID, I got sent home three months in advance. I was supposed to go home at the end of June. I went home halfway through March. Um, by by early March, pretty much, my my host parents were, uh, like, you know, definitely avoid going out as much as possible. Uh, high school was actually canceled for the month of March in Japan. Right, right yeah, um, I had to call that, yeah. Yep, yep. yep.
1: Which changed things for you because the, your primary way to connect and socialize was through the school. Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: which, you know, was kind of tough as an exchange student because you, you definitely have established social connections. Uh, but just to not have that excuse to kind of meet up with people and talk to your friends every day was, yeah I mean, it was tough. And, you know, a lot of people like kind of staying at home when they're at home in their home country. But in your host country, it can get really, really boring um and even though you have a host family there like there's really only so much you can do so much talking you can do before you want to go out yeah um even more so than kind of living at home in your home country and so yeah i'd say towards the end of my exchange it was it was pretty stifling and it was you know it got very difficult to kind of make social connections and meet up with the people i wanted to uh but i'd say up until just about the very end it was it was pretty normal it was only in the last few weeks that it was like you know, I can't go out, I can't meet up with friends, I can't take the train or whatever. So,
1: Now, did you have a chance to travel in the country and sightsee? And what was that like?
0: Yeah, I did a little bit of travel. Um, I guess the, the most notable one was, you know, for my host family at the time did a Christmas trip uh, to Hokkaido, which is the, the northernmost part of Japan. Uh, it's Japan is four islands, largely. Um, and so Hokkaido is the kind of the large, it's, I don't know if it's the largest, but it's, it's a big one up North. And so, uh, it's, it's known for, you know, being super snowy all the time, having a lot of mountains for skiing and snowboarding and stuff. So we went on a, uh, a skiing trip, which it was, you know, it was great. I mean, it, this happened back in December, so there was no COVID. We could just go to this resort and have fun. Um, and yeah, we took a plane and flew over the mountains. It was beautiful. And, um, uh, we arrived at this you know, this kind of resort, like way into the Hokkaido countryside. And I, I guess the most interesting thing about that was that, you know, Hokkaido is so famous for its kind of skiing and snowboarding that when you go to a ski resort or something up there, it's not mostly Japanese people. It's, you know, people from all over the world come to these places to ski. Um, And so when I got there, it was like this weird international safe haven where like, you know, I met a, new zealanders americans europeans other asians and so like you would hear a million languages being spoken like at any place in the resort um and you know hokkaido is beautiful i mean it's it's super mountainy kind of like the rest of japan and we went in december so it was at like peak snow um and you know it was it was incredible honestly like the i've i've only been skiing a few times in my life and in in minnesota we have limited places to ski and you know no mountains um so it was yeah, you have
1: to go to yeah to yeah. Um, one of the local uh, sk- uh, hills yeah yeah yeah
0: and you know there's nothing like super i can't like look off into the distance you know, and see a mountain reaching into the clouds or something like in hokkaido so it was you know it was uh really i guess just impressive really kind of mind-blowing the stuff that they have up there and yeah so that was that was probably the main piece of travel that we did we were there i believe three or f- three or four days okay
1: So we're running short on time, but that trip inspired you to consider going abroad and even working uh, somewhere, not necessarily Japan. What would you say to maybe other people who are considering going abroad, what would you tell them to maybe pay attention to or be more mindful of?
0: I would say, you know, a lot of things that uh, you may not find particularly bothersome could be very bothersome, and so I, to the people kind of there locally, and so I don't think the solution is to overanalyze everything you do. I think that only kind of slows you down, and you know, kind of lowers your own quality of life. Um, but certainly, you know, do your best to keep an eye on the reactions of people around you to what you're doing. Uh, I think Americans kind of have a reputation abroad for not really caring about what's around them and being loud and kind of all this. And I, I think just, I guess, do your best to. Avoid that stereotype. Be the person that looks around, then kind of watches people around you. Be the person that, you know, in, in Japan they say kuki yomu, which means to read the air. Uh, and, you know, that's something we say in English too, but in Japan it's, it's like a, a cultural aspect. It's the ability to understand your environment and how you, sh- you should be acting in it. Mm. Um, so certainly I think that's the biggest thing. Just make sure that, you know, your actions are in accordance with your environment. When in Rome, do as the Romans do. And I'd say that's, that's, probably the biggest thing literally just do your best not to be a nuisance and really the best that any of us can do as travelers so and how how welcoming were people they were you know they were very welcoming i think a lot of people say that japanese people tend to be cold or kind of unwelcoming and i suppose that might be true in some places like the business parts of tokyo or whatever um but in my experience people were you know very welcoming very excited that i showed an interest in their culture and in their language um, I think people, you know, internationally tend to appreciate that. Like we, you know, we certainly we talk about culture in a different way in the West than people do abroad. I think in, in you know, in America, especially, you know, we have conversations about cultural appropriation and what is appropriate to, you know, appreciate about another culture, what isn't uh, and, all, you know, all these different aspects. It's a very complicated dynamic in America. In America? But I think generally when you go abroad, uh, people just tend to be thankful that you're interested. Um because, you know, the world might be more interconnected than it's ever been. But the fact is that I can't just teleport to another country and experience it. It takes effort to go somewhere. It takes effort to look into it, to learn about it, to pra- to practice that stuff when you're there. Um, How did you get to be so wise? <laughs> <laughs> I got it from my father. Oh, well,
1: thank you. <laughs> Any final words before we wrap this up?
0: I guess at the end of the day, just don't take it too seriously. Really. I mean, especially if you're a high school or college exchange student, like... You're you're never going to be able to get that time back. You know, I I have days where I kind of wish that I was back in Japan and I'm sure I'll be able to go back eventually, but I'll never be back as an exchange student. Uh, So, you know, wherever you travel, wherever you go at whatever age, just make sure to, you know, enjoy it and just have fun. It sounds cliche, but just have fun. You know, do that thing that you're scared to do. Talk to that person you're scared to talk to. Bring yourself out of your comfort zone.
1: Noah, thank you for finally sitting down with your man. (laughs) Absolutely. You got me. That was my interview with my son, Noah. I hope you found it useful. And if you are considering going abroad to live or to study, drop me a message and let me know where you are thinking about going. I would love to hear from you. I would love to know what you are planning on doing with your experience abroad. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the podcast. It really helps people discover the show and benefit from the content that I share. You can find the show notes for this episode by going to my website at umarjang.com forward slash session 31. That's session 31. Thank you for hanging out with me today. I am grateful for your time and your attention. Until next time, please stay safe and motivated. Goodbye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Motivational Voice Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate it on iTunes. Get show notes and the latest blog post at omarjang.com.